Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. I've recorded several interviews over the past few weeks and I'll continue to churn out episodes every other Monday. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Maggie Lagle, historian at the USGA Golf Museum and Library in Liberty Corner, New Jersey. The United States Golf Association conducts the U.S. Open, U.S. Women's Open, and several other annual golf championships. Plus, it is a governing body overseeing rules, handicapping, and equipment regulations. It was founded in 1894. The USGA Golf Museum and Library preserves and celebrates the history of golf. No overtime segment this week, just a fun golf conversation with Maggie. I hope you enjoy episode 13 of Hallowed Ground. Well, today on Hallowed Ground, I'm talking to Maggie Lagle from the USGA Museum in New Jersey. Maggie, how are you? Doing great, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Yeah, I just thought I would start out with you, Maggie, talking about your background. And were you always interested in history and museums? And how did that process work as you made your way to the USGA Museum? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So... I've always, you know, really been passionate about history, museums, sports. I'm actually originally from St. Louis, Missouri, which is a huge sports town. So I grew up, you know, watching the Blues, the Cardinals, the Rams back when they were in St. Louis and always been really passionate about golf and ended up going to school for history. Then I received my master's in museum studies. So I have a background um, not only in in history and museums, but and then just had the passion for sports, which led me to working at the USGA and relocating. So cool. Yeah. A fellow Missourian. I think you're the first one on the pod. I'm from uh, Kansas City. I was going to say you're probably a Royals fan. So I don't know if you like the Cardinals or not, but (laughs) yeah, I always love meeting people from Missouri, even if it is St. Louis. Yeah, definitely. So you said you were a fan of golf and I wanted to ask about that because like I'm a big baseball fan that's probably my main sport and so working in a baseball museum appeals to me the most but I'm also a fan of all sports so do you have any thoughts about that like how does that impact your work as a golf historian if you love the game yourself. It's funny you ask that question because a lot of my colleagues um, don't actually play golf. Um, I play for fun I'm definitely not good at golf I'm actually much better with tennis. But I think the great thing about golf is just the history of the game, especially here in the United States, and just following those individual players and the rich history, you know, just seeing past championships and and hearing the stories of just how normal people can be successful in golf, I think is one of the great things about the sport and, and just the history of the game. So yeah, I was telling Maggie before we started the podcast that I played a round of golf on the morning of the day we're recording this. So it's kind of fun to play with mm-hmm. your your family or friends and just it's very difficult. And I think when people maybe start out playing golf, they don't really realize that or it just takes time to learn and get good at. And I'm certainly not very good either. So it's it's kind of fun to just go and play and have some fun outside on a golf course. So um, the museum's location is in New Jersey and it's in a really cool venue, the John Russell Pope House. And so can you kind of explain who is John Russell Pope? Why is he... Mm-hmm. Um, a renowned architect. And can you talk about the museum's actual location? Yeah, of course. Um, So the museum itself, I'll just give you um, a brief history of the museum before we discuss uh, the Pope House. But the museum, um, the USGA Golf Museum and Library is the nation's oldest sports museum. And where our collections are actually the world's largest and most significant related to the game. And the museum itself was actually established in 1936 by one of our executive committee members. And at 1936, the organization was based in New York City. So at that time, um, the museum artifacts were just 
in the headquarters of the organization in downtown Manhattan. But then in 1972, they decided that they wanted to not only expand the museum, but the organization was also growing. So they relocated from New York City out to New Jersey. And the house that the organization moved into was built by John Russell Pope. And at the time, he was a very famous architect uh, for residential houses in the Northeast. But he also um, designed a lot of public buildings and memorials as well, including the Jefferson Memorial, the uh, National Gallery of Art, and the National Archives Building in Washington, DC. So at the time when the USJ moved in, it was you know, considered like a historic house because three people, three different families had lived in the house from the time it was built in 1919 up until 1972 when the USJ moved in. Okay, yeah. So there's a lot of history in the building itself, it sounds like. And then mm -hmm. you're adding even more history with the um, game of golf and exploring those stories about American golf itself. So I wanted to ask you, how did golf originate in America? Because I know it was started over in Europe and England and Scotland, but then it made its way over here at some point. So what was that process like? There was some early versions of the game in like the mid 18th century, um, specifically in like the Carolinas and then in New York state. But the game that we know today was actually brought over by John Reed and his wife, Elizabeth and their four children. And John is actually, um, he's Scottish and he brought the game of golf over in 1888 and he established the St. Andrews Club in New York. And that's actually one of the founding clubs of the USGA. So that's really, um, they kind of call him like the father of American golf, but he's the one that's credited with bringing the game over uh, from Europe to the United States. And then I wanted to ask about the USGA's origin too, because golf has a lot of acronyms. There's the PGA, the LPGA, mm -hmm. and then you have international golf, but then the USGA specifically for American competition. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so the USGA, it conducts 14 national championships, including the US Open, which is one of the four majors on the PGA Tour, uh, also the US Women's Open. But um, we also are the governing body of golf in the United States. So with the Royal and Ancient over in Scotland, we conduct the rules and we also oversee handicapping as well as equipment testing and standards. But conducting the 14 national championships is one of the core things that we do at the USGA. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even realize that because I have heard of the US Open, obviously, and that's part of the PGA Tour. But yeah, I'm sure there's so much more than we can even get into on the podcast about the USGA and even specifically the museum. But probably one of the cooler artifacts in the museum is the Moon Club used by Alan Shepard. I was mm -hmm. doing some research and I was really excited to learn that you all have that club because famously astronaut Alan Shepard back in the early 70s, I believe he hit some golf balls on the moon and was the only person to be able to do that. So what is the historical relevance of that club beyond that? And how did it make its way to the museum? Yeah, so that is actually one of our most famous artifacts that we have on display at the museum. It's currently on display in our permanent galleries in the Pope House at the museum. But um, yeah, Alan Shepard, he um, was an avid golfer and went up onto the moon and actually had a six iron club head modified with a friend of his down in Houston prior to the mission. So the club head would actually fit, um, it's kind of like a versatile tool that astronauts use to collect like rock and, and soil fragments on the lunar surface. So he had the six iron club head modified to attach to this tool. So when he was up on the lunar surface, he just pulled out the club head and two golf balls and hit two, two balls on the lunar surface, which is 
pretty incredible when you think about it. But yeah, then he returned back home and had a few conversations um, with some other people in like the museum world and in the golf world and came to the conclusion that the USGA museum was definitely the best place uh, for the club. And he actually donated it that same year to the museum. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that quickly um, that he found a home for the club. And yeah, it's cool that I didn't know that it was a, a multi-tool basically. I always figured like they had stowed away a golf club of some sort, but it was just the head on another mm-hmm. tool, which I didn't realize, which kind of makes it even cooler because it's one of a kind yeah. pretty much. So yeah, that's probably one of my favorite artifacts that I've learned about. Do you have a favorite or are there too many to count? Oh my gosh, we have um, so many great artifacts, you know, just just telling the the history of the game, but I'm a pretty big fan of, we have the clubs that Francis we met, who was a 20-year-old amateur. There's actually a Disney movie, The Greatest Game Ever Played, which tells the story of we met, but he actually won the U.S. Open in 1913 at the Country Club up near Boston, and he was a 20-year-old amateur caddy coming in and actually defeated um, two of Great Britain's most like dominant perfect golf professionals at the time, Harry Varden and Ted Ray, and ended up winning the U.S. Open. And we have those golf balls and those clubs in our collection and on display. And I just really, really love that story with the game, just how almost like a normal, you know, like a normal golfer can come in at any time and compete with, you know, the game's greatest professionals at the time and be successful. Yeah. And I'm sure they're they're over a hundred years old now. So that's mm-hmm. even cooler that it's, it's lasted that long. And I'm sure there's a lot of preservation involved with those artifacts. So yeah, yeah. that sounds really, really cool to look at. Definitely. Yeah. And about only 5% of our collection is on display. I mean, we just have so many incredible artifacts in our collection. One of the more recent acquisitions and artifacts we have is we have the Odyssey putter from Happy Gilmore that Adam Sandler used. Okay. And that's, that's a lot of fun, kind of like a pop culture golf moment. So not only do we collect you know, like the more historical things related to the game, but we also collect some really fun artifacts as well. Yeah, I like that because that's how a lot of people experience golf. Even if they don't play golf, they may know Caddyshack or Happy Gilmore. So yeah, that's cool that you're collecting some of those things too. And there's a research component to the museum. And I wanted to ask you about that because it's called the USGA Museum and Library. And so what does the library bring to the museum? And I know there's some digital pieces too, along with that, some archives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So like you said, we are the USGA Golf Museum and Library. Um, So in 2008, the museum underwent an expansion and we added the Arnold Palmer Center for Golf History. But our library specifically is um, the largest, most comprehensive golf library in the entire world. And people are welcome to come and research. I mean, we have anything from you know, periodicals from the 19th century, you know, describing the game of golf to cookbooks that you know, we're at country clubs during our championships to housing all the scorecards from everything. And we have like our entire agronomy library, which is a green section, you know, turf grass research, things like that. So it's pretty incredible that we have, you know, such a great resource, not only at the museum, but available digitally as well, since we are digitizing a lot of the collection. Yeah, I'm sure that's a long process, but it's well worth it. I was looking on the website when I was doing some research for this, and it's, you can search by person, by artifact, even down to that. So it's, it seems really neat to preserve those things. And then you can show more of the collection that way too, right? If it's digital, you can have more than that 5% that you mentioned earlier. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it gives people, you know, that maybe live in California or in another country, you know, across the globe access to our collection as well that aren't necessarily able to make it, you know, physically to our location in New Jersey. I didn't write this down to ask you about, but I, I will know you brought it up, the international form of golf and how global it is. Do you get international visitors to the museum? Yes, we do actually. Um, so we have um, a lot of times past champions or, you know, participants that are in any of our championships, if they're nearby, they will come and visit the museum, which is always really special. But yeah, we do uh, receive a lot of international visitors, you know, even if they're just visiting like maybe New York City, because we're located about, you know, 20, 30 miles outside Manhattan. But um, yeah, we do get a lot of people that come specifically to see the museum just with not only the library and the resources that the library has, but also just to see our museum since it's the oldest sports museum in the United States. Yeah, that was something I didn't know about until I was doing some research because I know the Baseball Hall of Fame, um, that started in the late mm -hmm. 30s as well. But then you all were a few years before that. So did they just have all of these artifacts and these things from the teens and 20s back over 100 years ago, and then they wanted to put some museum behind it, or did it come to another type of origin? So um, again, like in, I believe it was um, in late 1935, one of our executive committee members, um, his name was George Blossom Jr., he actually proposed the idea for having a museum since at this time in you know, the 1930s, the USJ had been established since 1894, and our championships have been conducted since 1895. So a lot of the executive committee members and just people that were working for the USGA during the early years were collecting all these great artifacts from our championships and from players that just, you know, not even necessarily that they were donating to what they thought was going to be a museum, but just, oh, you know, here's Bob Jones's club or here's a golf ball from like the 1920 US Amateur or something like that. So he actually had the idea to come up with like display cases and just start showcasing like some of these artifacts like throughout the original office building in New York. It kind of just happened um, very organically, but um, they established the museum, you know, in I believe January of 1936. Yeah, that's pretty forward thinking in one sense, but then you also have all of this stuff that is accumulated and it's great to display it and show it off, especially back in the 30s, and I'm sure it was well-received well back then, and then it's grown a lot since. So yeah, that sounds like a really cool origin story for the museum. Yeah, and it wasn't just, you know, physical artifacts um, related to the championships. There was also a push to collect photographs, articles, and literature okay. related to the game at that time, too. So yeah, definitely very forward-thinking uh, by those early USJ members. Yeah, I know there's a lot of things on the digital archives that are like golf periodicals or rule books, like going back several decades, maybe even a hundred years ago. So mm -hmm. those were really cool to kind of look at. I want to spend more time doing that after our interview is like going through and seeing how things have changed. And that's probably a cool part of your job. Is that what you get to do um, sometimes as a historian? It is. So <laughs> I, I honestly tell, you know, everybody that I meet, cause they're a little surprised when I tell them, you know, like, Oh, what do you do for a living? And I say, Oh, I'm actually a golf historian. You know, they're like, tell me more about that. But I honestly have the best job, best career, I think in the world, because not only do I get to share this amazing history in our amazing museum, but another aspect of my job is to assist our championships with historical research. And by that, I mean, you know, during like the U.S. Open this year, I'm going back and I'm reading, you know, about every U.S. Open that we've conducted since 1895 and 
finding those really great stories and historical narratives and just making them topical and bringing like those stories to, you know, like the public now, so they can learn more about the history of the championship and the players and, you know, everything that goes along with it, but it's just, it's so much fun, but yes, I do spend quite a bit of time in the library going through research. Yeah. That sounds like a ton of fun. Just going through old newspapers or archives or looking at the old artifacts. And there's a lot of like engineering and stuff in golf too, with the Mm -hmm. um, specific equipment and then you have the turf management side of things. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to golf than I think people realize And It's very difficult mentally and um, things like that. So I think there's a lot, lot more components to it. And what are some of those components that you show off? You've mentioned a few already with the the turf management aspect of the library, but in the museum, are there other things besides like golf clubs and golf balls? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our museum specifically, when you walk in, we have um, the Hall of Champions, which is great. We house all of the original trophies of all of our championships. And along the room wow. too, we have plaques and these plaques have the names of our champions engraved since 1895 with the original three championships of the USGA. So that's always a really special moment when people can come in and really see, you know, you not only see the history of golf, you, you can really see just like the history of the United States almost since 1895 with, you know, there's no championships during the first and second world wars. And then we obviously suspended, um, most of our championships last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but it's just really special that people can come in and see like, oh, wow, you know, Tiger Woods won six USGA championships in a row before he turned professional and then ended up winning three US Opens. So that's, you know, really special for visitors as well as past champions, because we do have past champions come in and have the opportunity to see their name up in the hall of champions, as well as on the original trophies. And you mentioned Tiger Woods. I wanted to ask about him, but also about like people that maybe mm-hmm. aren't as good as Tiger Woods. And that's basically everybody else, but also like those yeah. people that <laughs> like just won one championship or like they just have just one artifact in the museum. And I think it's really cool that you all preserve those things too. And it's not just, it's not a hall of fame, is it? Where you're recognizing just the top or is it, is it kind of a mix of both? Yeah. Um, so we are not a hall of fame. So we just, um, yeah, we just celebrate our, you know, the USGA champions, um, throughout the room. But I mean, we do have a lot of like non USGA, you know, related artifacts, um, in our museum as well. So in addition to the hall of champions, we also have a really nice chronological history of golf in the United States. And that really starts with um, earlier in the podcast, I mentioned John Reed bringing the game over from Scotland. And so we have, you know, a really nice chronological timeline of history of the game. But then we also have individual rooms celebrating um, some of the more famous golfers and our famous champions. And one of those rooms is Ben Hogan's room. And in his room, for example, we have you know, his locker from his home club down in Texas, as well as like a green jacket from one of his master's wins at Augusta. So it's really nice. You can come in and see, you know, other artifacts that aren't necessarily related to USJ championships and the US Open. Yeah, I'm sure that's really cool for people that are like really big Ben Hogan fans or Jack Nicholas fans to, to see them and their artifacts. Mm-hmm. And- than those those lesser known folks too. That's where people can really learn at, at the museum. And I wanted to ask about like programs that you all do or different things to really educate people. Cause I think that's the important part about museums and halls of fames and libraries is that education piece. So what do you guys do educationally and what's your favorite 
thing that you all do in that kind of realm? Yeah, absolutely. So we work um, really closely with uh, Somerset County, which is where we're located. And they have a lot of great like outreach opportunities. Uh, for example, in October, we're doing something called um, Weekend Journey into the Past, where visitors can come and actually receive a free museum tour with me. So I can actually give them you know, a nice history of the house and a history of golf and scavenger hunts for like the school-aged kids to come in and, you know, learn about the game that way. But we also have a lot of like allied golf associations visit. So they have the opportunity to learn about the history of the game that they're just starting out to play. Um, some other groups include like the first tee, like York and you know, they bring all the kids out and we have the opportunity to show them around the museum and then um, actually take them to like the testing center so they can see how we like test the balls and equipment, which is a different building on our campus. But yeah, we honestly have like a lot of great outreach opportunities and really encourage people to come and, you know, learn the history of the game and, and just really enjoy themselves on our campus. Yeah. And I'll link to some of those online resources too, because there's a lot of like mm-hmm. worksheets and just like reading guys mm-hmm. to kind of look through. And I thought that was really interesting. And the one of them that I found the most interesting was golf and the presidency, because I love presidential history. Uh, yeah. Sports and presidents are kind of my two main like knowledge bases. And so I don't know, this is interesting, because we think of like, presidents playing golf and on the weekends, and uh, pretty much all of them mm-hmm. have done that, I think. So how many presidents have played golf? And I don't know what I'm asking really, but just can you talk about the golf and presidency link? Because I think it's really strong even today. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very strong. Actually. I also, um, nerd out pretty hard for presidential history. So it's so funny you bring that up, but, um, yeah, yeah, all, uh, all but three presidents since Taft have played golf. So a shocking number of presidents have, uh, golfed, but, um, while in office, Yeah, we have a lot of great presidential artifacts um, in our collection, as well as on display. Like, for example, we have one of Taft's drivers on display that he had created using a fishing pole, because at the time when he was in office, um, there wasn't a club that was long enough for him since he was pretty. I was going to say he was a big guy. He was a big guy. Yeah, I usually say he was like a little robust at the time, so he couldn't just use a standard club that um. Yeah, and we have uh, golf balls with like the presidential seals on them, which is great. And then uh, President Bush, um, he has a history, his grandfather with the Walker Cup, like they helped establish that, that championship. So that's really special. Um, And then, yeah, it was Eisenhower actually that installed the putting green at the White House. And he, um, yeah, he sought the assistance of the USGA green section to make sure that it was it was going to be a great putting green for him to practice um, when he was at the White House. So that's pretty cool. We have um, the original letter that Eisenhower sent to the USGA asking for assistance with the putting green. Yeah, because if you want to put something in at the White House, you want to make sure it's top notch and have the right people looking at yeah. it. And then, yeah, there's a lot of really specific like grass and cutting Then I'm really um Mm -hmm. Uh, probably certain goes into the greens and stuff like that so yeah that's a really cool link and then you can kind of see American history in that way too because a lot of people know about Eisenhower or Bush and that's kind of a link Mm -hmm. even if they're not a golf fan um, they can still tie it in with politics and, and the presidency so yeah I think that's super interesting It is definitely. And it's one of the like virtual tours that I offered was just like a history of golf and the presidency. So unfortunately with, um, with COVID last year, we had to close the museum in March of 2020 
And then we just reopened um, in June during the week of the US Open. But since we were closed for such a long time, I actually decided to create and present virtual tours online that anybody could attend uh, via Zoom and like go to webinar and things like that. And um, yeah, that was one of the things mm-hmm. that I did was we did um, like a golf and presidential history. And then we also did um, like African-Americans and golf history, as well as like history of the US Open and Women's Open. So it's nice just to be able to present, you know, some of the storylines and history with people um, during the pandemic. That was one of the one of the good things to come out of it. Yeah, for all of the the bad that the pandemic brought, I've I've seen that common theme with virtual programs, and I think a lot of that is here to stay, even post pandemic. Um, when we get to that spot, I think it's important that to have that piece. And you mentioned like people from California or overseas that may not be able to get to New Jersey, they can still access stuff online and use those resources. So I think it's it's a big part of what museums are trying to do now, and I think it's a it's a great thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Probably the coolest part, and I didn't know this about the museum, is the putting course. I was really excited about this. I'm not a very good putter, so I would have to try to uh, work on my skills. But there's a nine-hole putting course, and it looks really well done. And it's right outside the museum, and it's just $5, and you get some souvenir along with it. So can you kind of talk about that and what value that adds to the museum? Yeah, of course. Um, So that is really one of the fun things about visiting the museum is, uh, like you said, it's a nine hole putting green. Um, each of the holes is a part two and it's actually designed um, after the putting green at St. Andrews in Scotland. So it is pretty difficult putting green. Uh, but one of the great things is our visitors can come and use uh, replica putters and replica golf balls from the early days of golf in the United States. And they can go out and, you know, kind of kind of almost feel like, oh, well, this was how Francis we met was putting in the 1913 US Open, you know, using these old putters and golf balls. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I've seen a lot of people have to buy their their friend that they came with lunch because they did not do (laughs) putting green. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And we actually have people that visit um, not even to see the museum, but just specifically to, to play on the putting green. So that's always a lot of fun too. Yeah, that's a great way to spend 30 minutes or an hour is just doing some putting and you get to see like what it was actually like with those replica materials. So yeah, that's that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask too about state of golf currently in United States golf, and you've just mentioned the US Open. So how does the museum kind of preserve the current state of golf instead of just looking back to um, the tw- 1920s or Jack Nicholas era or anything like that? What does it do currently to kind of preserve the current state of golf? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the museum, um, you know, we're under the, the organizational umbrella with the USGA, but we're also um, kind of like by ourselves too, since we are a museum. But one of the really great things about um, some, of the, some of the ladies I work with, our museum staff is actually, um, it's all women, which is awesome, just to have like so many women like working in sports. Yeah. But um, my colleagues, Kylie and Rosemary, they work in collections and Kylie has the opportunity to travel to a lot of our championships um, while they're being conducted and will actually receive artifact donations um, like during the live championship or will go and uh, present artifacts oh, wow. from like past championships to the players. Um, so for example, we just had the um, United States Senior Women's Open, which is our newest championships. We began it in 2018, but Kylie had the opportunity to go 
and actually present um, past like women's open artifacts from, you know, like the early days of the championship uh, to some of the ladies that were playing. And it was a really incredible moment um, because some of the women that were playing in the senior women's open had actually played you know, 20, 30 years prior in a USJ championship. And Kylie had the opportunity to bring those artifacts to show them, which is just amazing, kind of like a full circle history moment. But um, yeah, but as far as like collecting, for example, like Bryson DeChambeau, he won the US Open last year at Winged Foot. And he actually donated um, the hat that he wore on that championship Sunday to the museum. And then John Rahm, who won the U.S. Open this year at Torrey Pines, he actually donated his shoes to the museum. So it's really great that, you know, we are really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We're like adamant about collecting artifacts from like guys that are still currently on the PGA tour winning the U S open and other championships. Yeah. I, I was certain you all did that in some form. I just wasn't sure how it worked, but yeah, it's, it's really cool that um, you provide that connection piece because that's, that may be how a lot of people know about golf now is Bryson DeChambeau and Phil Mickelson still playing in Tiger Woods mm-hmm. and like that current group that may be what people know. And then they can learn more about the history of it when they come to the museum so i think that's cool that it's kind of both worlds and you have so so many artifacts and just you're preserving the history and then the current state of the game too yeah absolutely and i mean another great example um fellow missourian like the two of us um hale irwin three-time u.s open champion he recently had the opportunity to visit the museum and kylie was able to show him you know, his clubs from winning his three past U.S. Opens that he had donated to the museum, as well as a, I believe it was a driver from the U.S. Senior Open that he won, I believe, 21 years ago. And he made Hmm. such an important comment, you know, picking up his driver just from 20 years ago saying like, wow, like, I can't believe how much this has changed. And that's so important to showcase you know, these historical artifacts, because you can really see how much the game has changed and evolved, even such a short period of time. And I, that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, like there's so much to golf, because it is a, a club and a ball, and you put it in the hole, but then like the technology of the clubs, I'm sure that's changed a ton, even in 20 years. And then you mentioned a testing center, and that's not really your domain at mm-hmm. the museum, but you have to test the equipment and regulate it. And yeah, there's a lot to it that I think um, a lot of people don't realize, including myself. So I think it's cool that, especially him as a golfer himself and a champion, he can see those differences mm-hmm. and share those stories too, especially with his own equipment right there. So you mentioned too, the all-female staff. I wanted to ask you about that because I think that's really incredible. And I think it's really awesome that I found an article that that was written up about you all. And so I just think it's really cool for one thing, but then how does that impact the museum and just working together as an all-female staff? I know that's unique, but as a female yourself in golf, how cool is it to you that you're working with an all-female staff? So yeah, the museum staff is all all women, and we all get along really, really well, um, which is a surprise to some people when yeah. they find out our, our team is made up of women and that we get along so well, but um, we all come from such different backgrounds and we all come to our team meetings and our ideas for the museum and, you know, our collection and the future of the museum. Uh, Myself and um, another historian, she's actually out in Denver. She works remotely and yeah, we all just bring, you know, different opinions and different ideas. And I think it's, very helpful um, with the success of the museum and the direction we're going. 
Yeah, as we wrap, wrap up here, I'd love for you to say where we can find the museum, whether in person or online. And I think I'll link to a lot of these articles and the website and things like that in the show notes so people can look at um, those online resources. But can you talk about where we can find the museum? So the museum and library, we are located in Liberty Corner, New Jersey, which is in Somerset County. And we're about um, 20 to 30 miles west of New York City. Awesome. And I'll link to the museum's website as well for the online resources. And I definitely want to visit the museum. I think it's a really cool piece that it's the oldest sports museum in the country. And there's the interactive component with the uh, putting course. And there's so much history. And I'm not a big golf fan, but I've grown to learn the game and enjoy it on television more than I thought I would, honestly. But it's been a lot of fun to talk to you today, Maggie. And thank you so much for your time and for what you're doing to preserve the history of the USGA. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. And um, if you ever are in New Jersey for a visit, I'd love to give you a private tour and show you around. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Maggie. I appreciate it. You can find the USGA Golf Museum and Library online through the USGA website or in Liberty Corner, New Jersey, about an hour west of New York City. Look in this episode's show notes for the museum's website and Facebook page, plus a link to the museum's digital archives. I appreciate Maggie taking time to be a guest on the pod. I hope you enjoyed episode 13 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. Be sure to check out our archive on your podcast app. There you'll find interviews with the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, Mascot Hall of Fame, and more. I'll see you next time, sports fans.